ShareCare, helping you find experts, the top minds in health and medicine. It's ShareCare Radio with Dr. Daria Long Gillespie on RadioMD.com. Hi, this is Dr. Daria, and welcome back to ShareCare Radio. Today, we're doing something a little bit different, and we're talking about hunger. Now, hunger may not be something that most of our listeners are thinking about on a daily basis. We talk about health, but the reality is one in seven people and 15 million children in the United States face chronic hunger on a daily basis, and 66 million primary school children attend classes hungry across the developing world. So, in honor of the United Nations World Food Day, we thought it would be worth a deep dive to really learn more about this ourselves and what's being done. To help us, I am so excited. We have somebody direct from the United Nations, Marco Knowles. Now, Mr. Knowles is a socioeconomist with the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, and he is joining us today from Rome to discuss World Food Day. Marco, thank you so much for joining us. This is fantastic. Uh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure, Daria, and uh, it's a pleasure to, to be in touch. Tell me exactly what you do with the United Nations and with the Food and Agriculture Organization. Well, I'm working in a team that's called the Protection to Production Team, um, and we, we're sitting in the FAO office uh, in Rome, and we evaluate the impacts of social protection programs on rural households. And based on the evidence that is generated through these impact evaluations, we provide advice on the design and implementation of social protection programs. So far, we've been mainly working, we've been mainly working in sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. Uh, more specifically, within this team, my, my role involves supporting countries in better understanding how agricultural and social protection policies can work together to end hunger and poverty. Now, when you say social protection programs, I want to tell more of our listeners, what are you meaning by that? Uh, well, okay, it's, the, there isn't a, a single definition of social protection, mm-hmm. but broadly speaking, we're talking about a set of interventions that aim to reduce social and economic risk and vulnerability and to alleviate extreme poverty and deprivation. So the three, broadly, the three components, the social assistance programs that provide that non-contributory transfers uh, that can be provided either in kind, such as food or cash. Mm-hmm. There's also social insurance, which are contributory insurance programs. And then there's labor market protection, uh, such as unemployment benefits, skills training for the, for the unemployed. Okay, and one of the things I thought was so fascinating is, you know, these social protection programs, they're not, a, they're not welfare or, you know, what some people may refer to as a handout. They are literally a way to break the cycle of poverty, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Um, so so uh, until recently, there was some reticence to, uh, to invest in these programs because they were perceived as, as charity. And as, uh, there was a fear that these would create dependency. Mm-hmm. They would create a disincentive for people to work. But impact evaluations from around the world, from Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, show that it's quite the opposite. These programs do not create dependency, uh, quite the opposite. They allow households, they allow to alleviate the short-term symptoms of hunger and poverty, but they also allow households to invest in their lives and so to improve their, the future prospects. For, in, for instance, they allow households to invest in the human capital by improving their health, by investing in health, in education, uh, by improving their own nutrition, which all uh, these three different aspects mm-hmm. uh, increase labor productivity in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, evidence also shows that households 
invest money in um, in productive assets, for instance, in purchasing livestock or agricultural in small agricultural instruments, also in purchasing inputs to improve the agricultural productivity. Hmm. So you literally—it's truly you're—you know—you're you're teaching them to fish, essentially, not giving them a fish. You're teaching them to fish and le- helping these people, you know metaphorically teaching them to fish and helping these people to really get a step up and become productive in their own lives economically and, you know, for their life. Yeah, we give it's basically these programs provide household, households with the means mm-hmm. to better their own lives. And I know I had seen... The, and there are, go ahead. I know there are some programs that then complement the, uh, the transfer with training. And so as you, the example you were, you were giving earlier about training, teaching people how to fish rather than mm-hmm. only giving the fish. Mm-hmm. And tell me more, I know I'd seen that, you know, it, the, the, you'd said that around 150 million people had overcome extreme poverty in recent years as a result of these uh, programs. What are some of the big success stories that you have? Um, well, I can, I can give examples from Latin America, Africa, mm-hmm. Asia, for instance, in, uh, in Zambia, in a program we've been evaluating in, in Zambia we see that uh, households that participated in the social cash transfer program uh, owned more goats, started investing part of the money in buying goats, cows, and chicken. Also, uh, they were able to, to, um, to cultivate more, more land. Mm-hmm. Uh, their crop production increased by almost 50%. Wow. Thanks to, thanks to these investments. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, in Mexico, we see that the Progresa program um, has, has allowed households to move out of poverty and to increase their asset ownership. And we have another example in Asia, by a program implemented by a large NGO called BRAC. Mm-hmm. Uh, the program is called Challenging the Frontiers of Poverty Reduction. And this program is innovative in that it provides uh, both a transfer and complementary uh, interventions, which can be, which are both training and coaching households uh, access to credit, mm-hmm. um, and we've seen very positive impacts. In, yes, uh, with these programs, I've seen fascinating things from access to credit or access to microcredit, and you know what the people, what people with access to these things can do with their lives. It can be transformative. That's fascinating. I, I love hearing about these things. Now let's talk about you know hunger specifically, and you know how these social protections are intended to help combat hunger, and how that led us to World Food Day. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so um, poor and hungry households uh, have to uh, are trapped in a cycle of poverty, cycle of of hunger, uh, whereby because they don't have because they don't have enough, uh, enough income, they're not able to send the children to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have poor, poor diets, which reduces their, uh, the, labor, the productivity of mm-hmm. their labor. Um, and whereas these cash transfers relieve some of the constraints that the households face so that they're better able to invest in their livelihoods, as I was mentioning mm-hmm. earlier, they're, um, they're able to send the children to school to improve their education, to improve their nutrition, to improve their health standards, making them more productive workers, and to invest in, their, in their, the activities that they undertake. Since a large part of the, of the poor households live in rural areas and depend on agriculture, they invest these transfers in their agricultural mm-hmm. activities. 
So you literally take what's a vicious cycle and you convert it into a, a positive one. I know I had said that you know 66 million primary school children go to school hungry in the developing world. I know I can't focus when I'm hungry, and it seems, you know, it may seem minor, but that's probably that's a huge deal for these children to even be able to go to school and then to be able to go to school well nourished. Yes, exactly. This is uh, so one um, one type of social protection program is a school feeding program, and the intention of these programs are to create an incentive for parents to send their children to school, but also to improve edu- uh, educational attainment by improving concentration in class. Okay. Wonderful. So you were saying, when you're hungry, it's difficult to, to concentrate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then tell us, how did this lead the, the, the UN to decide to have an annual day dedicated to food and to hunger? Uh, okay, well, the World Food Day is celebrated on the 16th of October, mm-hmm. uh, because that's the day in which FAO was, was established 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so the World Food Day celebrates the creation of FAO, but I think more importantly, it's, it's celebrating the agreement by different countries to work together in combating hunger and malnutrition. Got it. So it's a celebration. And you said the FAO was created so 70 years ago, 1945? Yes, precisely. And what was the impetus? So, Go ahead. Uh, so the World, Food, the, the World Food Day is, is, a, is an instrument uh, for drawing attention to the hunger challenge in the world and how, what can be done to, to overcome this challenge. Okay. And then what was the impetus to, when was the very first World Food Day? Uh, that was in, 19, in November 1979. Okay. So you the world, yes, November 1979. And why do you think it's so important to have, you know, what attention does having an annual food day bring to this issue? Well, I think like many things, uh, it's easy to, though we're aware of, though we know inside ourselves what the situation is, that mm-hmm. the situation is in the world, uh, we, we might tend to forget about it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's useful to have an event, an annual event that reminds us what, that there is still a huge challenge. There have been very important achievements. Uh, hunger and poverty have, be, have, uh, have been reduced. Uh, but there's still also there's still a very important challenge, and it's useful to be reminded of this challenge mm-hmm. and uh, how, what, what it is that we can do to to overcome this. Which is why exactly we're talking about it. Can you give us a little more statistics about how big an issue hunger is? I mentioned a few of them in the beginning, but can you tell us a little bit more about it? How many people in the, in, globally live in chronic hunger, and you know what are the numbers? If you have them in front of you, I know we had talked about it beforehand. About uh, about it looked like about eight hundred million people, or one in nine, living in chronic hunger. Um, is that this, are those numbers that you're seeing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's more or less number. Okay, these are such huge numbers. Um, and then tell me about you know the MDG. What are those, and you know what are your goals for those? Well, okay, the the MDGs. Uh, really, they demonstrate a commitment by world leaders to eight main goals, mm-hmm. and one of them being hunger. Okay. And what does MDG stand for? Uh, the Millennium Development Goals. Which okay. End in 2015, and they will be replaced by the Sustainable Development Goals. Okay. So for the, and in 2015, so this is the last year for the Millennium Development Goals? Yes. Okay. And you said they were being replaced by the... Repeat that again? By the, by the Sustainable Development Goals. Got it. Now, are those going to have the same... Which were agreed to very recently. 
Okay, and that'll have the similar goals of continuing to er hope to eradicate extreme poverty and hunger? Yeah, there will be similar goals, and I think also in recognition of the importance of uh, social protection in achieving the Sustainable Development Goals, social protection has been included as one, uh, as an important instrument for, for achieving the Sustainable Development Goals. Okay, that's fascinating. And, it, and you're right, the numbers are so huge, and we all can get so caught up in what we're doing, and we forget about how big the numbers and how many people are suffering from chronic hunger and how much we can impact it. And it looks like food insecurity, or another term that I've seen you use for essentially for people who are chronically hungry, that seems to go hand in hand with productivity and poverty in general. And just like we mentioned, that vicious cycle, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, because, well, being a uh, Hungry people tend to be unhealthy, and if you're unhealthy, you're less productive. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's a fun, it's fundamental improving food security today. So even providing relief in the short term is important in uh, improving longer term prospects as well. As longer term prospects for people to move gradually move out of poverty, but also to so that they're able to contribute to economic growth. Now, is that why you know food insecurity is so persistent because it is part of this vicious cycle? Uh, yes, yes, and uh, also because though economic economic growth can can help people move out of insecurity and poverty, it's not always inclusive, uh, and for the reasons I mentioned mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier that the the poor, the food insecure, are not able to take part in a, in, a, in productive processes. Mm -hmm. So, and you said that the three th features that you have for the set of interventions. Number one, you mentioned was social assistance. And, and t just tell us a little bit more about what each of those interventions are. Okay, so social assistance includes um, programs like cash transfer programs mm -hmm. or food transfers, uh, school feeding programs, mm -hmm. or public works programs where households uh, receive a cash transfer in compensation for, work, for, uh, for working on different programs which could be, which can involve road construction, mm -hmm. reforestation, uh, building a water harvest tank. Mm -hmm. So when you, you say cash transfer, but it's really paying them for some work that they are doing. Uh, in the case of public work program, public, public works programs, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, other programs do not require, um, do not require people to work. They provide mm -hmm. it either uh, simply because people are poor and they are mm -hmm. enrolled in a program. And then there's another set of programs which are conditional cash transfer programs where people receive the cash on condition for doing something, uh, which is generally uh, related to sending the children to school or to attending a health clinic. Okay. And do you and do... These programs are... Go ahead. Uh, sorry. So these programs are more widespread in Latin America, the conditional cash transfer programs. Got it. Whereas the unconditional... Cash transfer programs are more prevalent in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Got it. And what do you do to make sure when you give uh, when you give this cash to people that they are using it in productive ways? You know, teaching them that they should be using it to buy livestock or land or or what kind of food to grow. How do you give them that training? Well, actually, the wonderful thing is uh, people people know what the, what to do with with the money. We found through the impact evaluations that that we've been carrying out here in in FAO um, and also other researchers, uh, we have found that there is no that the, the people whether there is a condition or there isn't a condition on how people 
whether, whether there is a condition or not for <laughs> receiving the cash, people spend the money wisely, uh, which goes to show that people have a potential at the moment, but they're not able to exploit this potential because of the constraints that they're facing associated with uh, liquidity constraints. Because they just don't have the means to do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the means to do it. Then there are some... Uh, the cash transfers can be complemented with, with messaging in order to provide people with, the, with some of the information they may need to make, it, to make informed choices. Got it. So they can do that. And then you also uh, mentioned... There is no... Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no... Um, there's no need for mechanisms to to constrain people on how they should spend their money. That's fascinating. That that's not something that I knew. That but it, they know what to do. They just need the means for it. That's just so interesting to me, mind-boggling. I know in our last minute or two, you mentioned there were two other things: social insurance and labor market protections. Can you just touch on those? Yes. Okay. So these uh, social insurance, labor market protection are less prevalent in low-income countries. Um, mainly because they, they rely on formal employment mm-hmm. and are contributory. So we see these types of we see these types of schemes mainly perhaps more in middle income countries and in more in higher income countries like the US and Italy where I'm working. Got it. But those are so those are programs it sounds like you you uh, essentially titrate the program to the country and their needs. All three interventions don't happen in every country. Yes, yeah, precisely. Okay. And then what is what is social insurance? Uh, social insurance can include uh, uh, health insurance. Mm, okay. Yeah. So some of the things that many of us, uh, again, take for granted as having health insurance and a variety of different insurance platforms. Yeah, precisely. Okay. But these, these, this is not available in all countries. In, in many countries in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, social insurance is not available. Or it's only available for a very small Okay. portion of the, of the population. Marco, tell our listeners, this is fascinating, that what the work the, the UN and the FAO are doing to break the cycle of poverty and hunger. How can they find more information on this? How can they contribute if they wish? Well, they can go to the, the World Food Day website mm-hmm. of FAO. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they can go to the World Food Day website, the U.S. website. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there are places on there to learn how you can help out and contribute money if you wish to. Uh, yes, at the moment we're not uh, we're not collecting donations, mm-hmm. but there are activities that we can get involved in to, to sensitize the general public. Wonderful, and even just to help sh- spread the word about the work that you are doing there and the need for it. So I think that's fantastic. For all of our listeners, as he mentioned, you can find more information at worldfooddayusa.org. You can also go to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. That's fao.org. You can tweet them at World Food Day USA, Facebook, World Food Day USA, and Canada. And remember that United Nations World Food Day is October 16th, so we're going to honor everything that they're doing to break the cycle of poverty and hunger worldwide. Marco, thank you so much. This was so fascinating. For all of our listeners, this is Dr. Daria, and you're listening to Share Care Radio on Radio MD. Thanks for listening, and be well. <laughs>